Bible, I invite you to take it up and turn with me to the book of Colossians. Uh, chapter 3 is where we will continue our studies in the book of Colossians. If you uh, are visiting with us this morning, we're glad that you're here. Consider it a great priv privilege to have you with us, and you want to know that we have been working our way systematically through the book of Colossians in these days, and we find ourselves now in, towards the end of Colossians 3. Uh, if you don't have a Bible and you would like to follow along, which we would love for you to do, uh, you can find a Bible in the pew back in front of you, and you can find this reading on page 955, or you can uh, look it up on your mobile device of choice, Colossians chapter 3. Just two verses this morning, uh, verses 18 and 19. Verses 18 and 19. Uh, as we work our way through a book like the book of Colossians, then we find ourselves from time to time coming up against particular subjects. And so what we're going to do over the course of the next couple of weeks is kind of slow down and kind of go through this, these verses in slow motion. I know some of you are like, is it possible to slow down any slower than working our way through the book of Colossians? Um, it is, uh, and we're going to do that. Uh, because when you go through a book, sometimes uh, you don't have the opportunity to pause and just take a few moments to look at particular subjects. And so uh, this week, we'll be looking at the subject of marriage, of how, of what Paul has to say on marriage. Uh, next week, we'll be looking at parenting, and in a few weeks' time, we'll be looking at work and the implications of this particular teaching uh, for each of our lives. And so we'll be doing that, and then we'll, we'll work our way through the end of, of this fourth chapter in Colossians. So now we come, and it's always interesting whenever we look at the topic of marriage in a church setting, because uh, we all come, we all are in a variety of different life stages. Um, and we all come at this particular topic with a whole variety of feelings and emotions and working things out, because some uh, have been married and are no longer married. Some have never been married and feel no, and, 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 and have always find these things to be a little complex as we look at them together. Some of us are uh, in the middle of divorce. Some of us are in a whole variety. Some are just thriving and in a and are just in a really good season with you and your spouse. And so we come at this with a whole variety of different needs and desires. Um, so it's always an interesting thing for us to look at. But what I want to suggest to you this morning is, no matter what season or stage that you're in, it's important for us as Christians to be able to understand what the Bible has to say about marriage, the context, the significance of what, uh, what the Bible has to say about why uh, marriage is important, why marriage is addressed in the scriptures, and, and what are the implications of that for our lives. Now, there are a whole variety of and wonderful resources that you can go find um, that can be helpful to you if you find yourself in a time of difficulty. There are resources that we provide as a church to be able to come alongside you. Uh, there's a whole lot of other resources that are out there in order to be able to find practices that may be able to help you maintain a healthy marriage. And those are really good and really significant, uh, but they're not going to be my purpose for our time together this morning. But rather, my hope is that we will be able to, under, to understand why God, the, the very uh, purpose for which God has put marriage in, his, in the scriptures and in the story of the Bible and in our lives. And so to begin, to begin with, I want to look at the very power of marriage, the power of marriage. And I think this comes out through the context into which these, these two verses verses 18 and 19, are put into the letter of Colossians. That we, there is a particular power because Paul, as you know, has been writing to a church that he's never met. 
a church that has found themselves on the edge of, or at least confronted with, some, some, some false teaching. That were saying, well, here's Jesus is, is, is significant, Jesus is important. And yet some people were saying, yes, but you, the Jews were saying, you still need to add to it all of these rules and regulations. You need to add to it these ceremonies and new moon festivals and other things. And there was other teachers from the Greeks and the Gentiles that were coming and telling this church, no, Jesus is fine, but if you really want to know God, you need to have an extra experience. You need to have a mysticism. You need to have an experience that's beyond that. And Paul is coming to this church and saying, no, no, no. Your identity is in Jesus. Verse 3, he says, you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. No, Christ is your very life. Your life, your identity is now wrapped up and hidden in God. That's what, that's what, uh, that's what Paul is trying to get across and has been. And you know, if you've been with us in our studies, we've been coming back to the same concept over and over. That you are alive in Jesus. That you were raised with Jesus. That Jesus, that you are hidden in Jesus. That Jesus is your very life. This is your identity of who you are in him in your new life. And as a result, then he said in verse 5, Therefore, we need to align the actions and our way of thinking with our identity, who is Jesus. So there are certain things that we need to put to death. We need to put to death what belongs to our earthly nature, sexual immorality and impurity and lust and evil desire and greed, which is idolatry. And he says we also need to put to death, rid ourselves of anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language and do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its, with its practices. Because Jesus is your life, because you are hidden with Christ in God, because that's who you are, then these, these actions, these ways of thinking, these ways of living are no longer applied to you. You need to rid yourself of those things, but it's not enough just for us to rid ourselves of certain things because it leaves a void. And then we are to clothe ourselves to clothe ourselves with the clothing of Christ. Verse 12, he said, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another if you have any grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. The Christian life ought to be characterized, your life, if you are in Christ this morning, ought to be characterized by compassion and kindness and gentleness and patience. That we are in the regular practice of bearing with one another. That we ought to routinely be forgiving one another. And over all these things, your life ultimately ought to be characterized by love. This is what you're clothing yourself in. Because why? Because your identity is in Christ and Christ is, the, is love. And so therefore, because you're in him, because you're wrapped up in him, this too ought to be the, what people experience when they encounter you. And we are to be people of peace. So we looked at last time. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. That there is a peace that comes with those who are following after Jesus Christ. Because our identity is him, we are at peace with God. Our sin has been taken care of, and so therefore we're at peace with him, and therefore where there is a rest and there is a contentment that fills the life of the Christian 
because of who we are in Christ, because our life is wrapped up in him. There is a peace. And therefore, there is also a peace that comes within the church with one another. Relational peace. We looked at these things. Paul applies all of this to the church and says that the church ought to be a place of peace. You are called to peace. We ought to be at peace with one another. And now he then continues to apply these things. Specifically, he's applying it to marriage. He's applying it to our, the marital relationship. And he's saying to this church, that this is who you are in Christ. This is how you are to clothe yourselves. This is how you are to act with other believers in relationship. Now, I want you to understand the power that you have. You have the power of the very spirit of God that is at work in your marriage. This is radical news to those folks. They have never heard a thing like this before. They had understood marriage, but they didn't understand that this is, what, this is what Christian marriage is. There is a supernatural power by the very Spirit of God who is in you because you are a child of God that helps you be able to work in this relationship. And for some of you, that's routine. For some of you, you've known this your whole entire marriage. But for others of us, it's brand new. That there is a power, there is a divine power that's at work within you as one who has been called into, adopted into the family of God. You have therefore been indwelt by the very spirit of God that actually has a power that is at work within your marriage to help you become like Christ, to help you be able to work these things out with your spouse. There is a power that is known only to the, to the marriage that is a Christian marriage. That is, a, that is a Christian marriage because it is the very power of Christ. It is the very power of the Spirit of God working. And so we, un, we need to understand this as Paul's teaching this to the church and he's teaching it to us and reminding it at us that there is a power that is at work. It's not just between two people that are, that are locked into relationship with one another, but there is in Christian marriage a very Spirit of Christ that is also at work between with you, in you, and in your spouse if both of you are in Christ. Well, not only is it important to be able to understand that there's a power that is at work in, the, in Christian marriage, but also that there is a purpose, that Christian marriage has a purpose, that God, who designed marriage, had a purpose for, for marriage. I think most people, in, in some form or fashion, would say, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a reason why I'm married. There's, it's, I mean, yeah, we want to, it's for something. In, in our day, in un, in our culture, the understanding of the purpose of marriage has, I think, shifted. Um, not just not like just yesterday, but over the course of the last few decades, these things have changed. Our culture has a tendency to look at marriage as something that will complete you. Um, you're, you're, is, if you're a single person, you, you somehow are lacking. What I need to do is be able to get married, and my marriage is supposed to complete me. Marriage is to make me a fuller, better, more fulfilled version of me. Marriage exists in order to help me achieve and reach my full potential as a human being. Ma marriage historically has been different than that. Historically, marriage is understood as an institution serving the common good. But now, it's a private arrangement for the satisfaction of the individuals who enter in. Marriage used to be about, if you like, marriage used to be about us, but now it's about me. Tim Keller, in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, says this, and I think it very helpfully says, both men and women today 
see marriage not as a way of creating character and community, but as a way, of, a way to reach our personal life goals. They are looking at, for a marriage partner who will fulfill their emotional, sexual, and spiritual desires. And this creates an, an extreme idealism that turns into a deep pessimism that you, can, you will never find the right person to marry. This is the reason so many people put off marriage and look right past great prospective spouses that simply are not good enough. So in our culture, we have a variety of or we have many people who are looking to find a spouse that will help them fulfill their life goals. They have uh, emotional, sexual, spiritual desires, and I need to ha- find somebody who will help me do that. And because I have an idealism about what marriage is supposed to bring me and do for me, then there's a pessimism that I'm actually going to be able to find somebody who can actually fulfill these desires that are within me, and therefore they're putting off they're putting off marriage longer, and they're working past wonderful people who just don't quite measure up to their high ideals. And this is, the, this is where we find ourselves in our culture in these days, if Keller's right and others who write on these things. That the purpose of marriage then has shifted from being something that is good for others, but it actually has shifted to being something that is actually going to fulfill me, that is going to make me into the one and help me achieve my goals and my desires. But Paul actually says, I want you to understand that marriage is not primarily about helping you reach your life goals. Marriage is about pleasing the Lord. Christian marriage is ultimately about honoring God. Verse 17, what, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In the Bible, the purpose of all of life, and specifically the purpose of marriage, is for the Lord. And this means that mar- our marriage, your marriage, is not about, or the, I, the purpose of marriage is not about you and fulfilling your life goals and dreams. But it's actually about others. It's about him. It's about your spouse. It's about the Lord. Ultimately, it's, it's, it, there's an other's orientation to the understanding of the way in which God created marriage. It's not, a, it's not a, just to fulfill my needs, my goals, and my desires, but rather mar- Christian marriage is a, is a relationship that is an other's orientation because I'm there to please my and to serve my spouse, but ultimately I'm there to serve the Lord. That's the purpose. Or put a different way, Paul in, in, in his letter to the Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. The Bible begins with a wedding. God presides over a wedding between Adam and Eve. It begins with a wedding. The Bible ends with a wedding. God presides over the unity of Christ and his church, Christ who is his bride. In the meantime, we as Christian people, united in Christ in marriage, in, in, in relationship with one another, united in Christ, are a picture of Christ and his church. 
The purpose of our marriage is for the Lord. The purpose of our marriage is ultimately to paint a picture of Jesus' love for you, for his people, for his church. That's why marriage was in place, is it fits into the whole story and narrative of the Bible. We are here in order that we might be able to paint a picture to a watching world of Christ's love. The way in which I love my wife and the way in which she loves me is painting a picture of Jesus' love for his church. A few years ago now, I had the opportunity to, part of the beauty of being in youth ministry and then getting old is that some of the kids who come through your ministry ask you to do their weddings. And so I had the opportunity to, to do a wedding for one of the young girls. Well, she wasn't as young as she once was. Um, she was getting married, and she was, a, she was just a beautifully artistic and creative type girl. And so I was happy to do the wedding. And, and you know, instead part of it, you know, now there's these um, unity candles, you know, there's these big candle in the middle and two lit candles that the moms light usually, and then they come together in the ceremony and light the unity candle, one, you know, becoming one in Christ, and then they blow out the other candles. Well, they, they, they said, we're not doing that. Um, and some people are doing unity sand, so they're pouring sand together, and it mixes together, and it's a picture of unity in sand. Um, they wanted to do a painting. I said, oh, Okay, I'd never had a painting in a wedding before, um, and said, "Okay, well, let's 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 do that." Um, and so during during the wedding ceremony, um, then I pronounced them husband and wife, and then the music started, and then there was this easel, and then there was this canvas that they had started a painting on, and what they ended up doing was, I think, if I, my memory serves me right, they they painted two circles that were now joining together. And what I once thought was a bit odd and a bit strange, all of a sudden started to come into great clarity for me. And I thought, what a wonderful picture. Because here we have a husband with a paintbrush and here we have a, a, a bride, a wife with a paintbrush and together they were painting a picture of unity in their marriage. And that's exactly what I'm supposed to do and exactly what you're supposed to do if you are married in Christ. Your marriage is ultimately pointing to something else. I have a Bible that sits on my coffee table in my home study. It's a nice Bible. I really like it. And I have it sitting there. And the purpose of it is because if you were to come to my home and come into my study at home and you were open the flyleaf of that Bible, what you would find is signatures. Those signatures are the elders of Parkside Church. And they gave me that Bible when I was ordained into the gospel ministry. That Bible, it's a nice Bible. But the reason I have the Bible sitting out is not because it's a nice Bible. I've got lots of nice Bibles. It's part of the hazard of the job. I've got, I've got Bibles on top of Bibles, different versions, all that Bible. That Bible sits out because it points to something far more significant to me. It points to the fact that God's calling on my life of where I was. Where, these men who said, we agree that God is calling you into the gospel ministry. Because that Bible points to something far more significant in my life. Your this is that. When people look at your marriage, they ought to see Christ and his love for the church. That's the purpose for which you are called together. That's the purpose for which the unity. Yes, we want to have kids. Yes, we want to be happy. Yes, we want, all those things are true. But ultimately, the purpose of marriage is to point to something far more significant. And that is Christ's love for his church. Marriage was designed by God to be a picture of his self-sacrificial love for his people called the church. And you, if you are married, are a living, breathing picture of that love.
one another. There is a power that attends the marriage of the Christian. There is a purpose for which the marriage of the Christian lives out what they do. And thirdly, there's a pattern. And that gets more directly to the verses that are in front of us, verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as fitting to the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. It's verses like these that highlight how out of step Christian marriage often is with the way and the thinking of our culture in these days. The idea of submission is not a concept that is valued in our culture and is not one that is, and oftentimes is viewed as oppressive or regressive. And yet, and, and, and I get it. I, I mean, I totally understand it. I mean, it's, it's this, this sentiment that every single one of us deals with at some particular point. My, my daughter, um, I wish I had a dollar for every time I heard her say this to one of her brothers. When her brothers are giving her a hard time or telling her what to do, she, she looks at them and says, you're not the boss of me. <laughs> and she's right. Um, and all of us have that in us. This desire to be our own God. It's at the very heart of Christian living. The very essence of Christian living is that we submit it, that we, our identity is not in our own, it's not in our own making, but that we are united with Christ. We are wrapped up in Christ. He is our identity. We've submitted ourselves to Christ and to his rule and reign in our life. And so therefore, he is the boss of me, right? And so therefore, this concept, this idea of submission is deeply Christian, deeply Christian. And I think we have, what we have here, and to, to help understand this, I think what we have uh, deeply rooted in the scriptures are two, what I refer to as parallel truths, two parallel truths. And the first is this, it's equality, equality. That both men and women were created totally co-equal and commissioned equally to bear the image of God and to live out for his glory. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it reads, God so created man in his image that in the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. That we were male and female, both created equally image bearers. It's not like one gender bears God's image more than another. No, men and women were created as image bearers. That God is revealing himself, as it were, through men and women, that we might be able to get a better picture of Christ. We're all bearing the image of God equally. But why, why does this matter? Why is this an important thing to be able to understand in Christian marriage? Well, first, if the image of God is equally displayed in both the husband and the wife, it points to a relationship value of equality and mutuality, that we value each other, our personhood, both is, is mutual and, and that's, that's significant and that's important. A second implication is it suggests that the implications of how marriage bears, uh, the marriage union bears God's image in the world, that the way in which we image God, that way in which we paint the picture, it's, it's important that we understand that both the man, the husband and the wife, both equally bear the image of God, or otherwise the picture that we paint of what Christ and his church will be marred. It affects the way in which we live this out in front of others. Because if we are called to live a life of compassion and gentleness and kindness to one another, we will not do that well 
if we think that we're better than our spouse, if we feel like we're superior to our spouse, if we feel like somehow, or we feel inferior to, the, to our spouse, we won't, pro, we won't be able to if we don't understand that God has valued your spouse, that, that we are on a level playing field as, we're, as it relates to our value and personhood before God. That both of us are responsible to our relation with our relationship with God. That my wife has a responsibility to walk in Christ and that I have a responsibility to walk in Christ and we both equally have that responsibility. And so there is this, if you like, this one track of recognizing the equality of personhood. And it's an essential element for marriage marked by mutual, deep, self-sacrificing love and affection and devotion for one another. And the other track, if you like, the other parallel uh, truth. So one is this, this understanding of equality of personhood. And this other one is of headship. That is clearly taught in the scriptures. This, this concept of male headship. That head, and my understanding of male headship is that headship is something to be, is more about responsibility before God than it is having an authority over someone else. It's more about saying who's responsible before God for who's ultimately responsible before God. Ephesians chapter 5 says, verse 21, submit one another out of reverence, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. All Christians must submit to one another because we, we, we submit to Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. Husbands is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body which, of which he is the Savior. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So there is this idea that we submit ourselves to, to one another because we submit ourselves to Christ. That wives are to submit to their husbands and husbands are to give of their very lives. They're to submit their lives to, to, the, to their wives, to, to, the, to this relationship, that they are to lead in this relationship. These truths run in parallel to one another, not in tension with one another. So some in the church have overemphasized, they've overemphasized the submission part to the neglect of personhood and it's an authoritarianism. Some have over, overemphasized the person part, the personhood part, to the neglect of the, of the headship part, of the submission part, and therefore you get an egalitarianism. Rather, I, I, I was talking with a friend of mine about this, and he says, well, I, I, want to, I, I, I like to call it an equalitarian. <laughs> and, I, and I think he made it up. I'm not sure. But it's this idea to affirm the equality of the personhood in one another the dignity in one another because we're equal image bearers of God and to affirm the headship and the submission that, that ought to characterize all Christian life but also characterize Christian marriage. To understand that part of the husband's responsibility in submitting to Christ is to facilitate within their marriage a, a flourishing environment that they're to facilitate this flourishing environment in, their, in, in, in culture, in their home. This is not so much connected to roles as it is connected to values. That the male, that the husband, as part of his duty before the Lord is to nurture spiritual flourishing, to nurture moral flourishing, to 
nurture relational flourishing in their marriage relationship and in their home. The husband's identity is in Christ. He is in Christ. He is a follower of Christ. And as one whose identity is in Christ and as one who's following after Christ, that means that he must lead like Jesus led, which means that he came in love. It was self-giving love that Christ did for his church, for his people. And so must the head of the relationship, so must the husband do so. And if a husband's, if a husband's leadership invokes fear or dominance, then it's one that's not connected. It's lost connection to the head. It's lost connection to Christ. He must do so. He must facilitate this relationship and environment of equality, collaborative partnership to the glory of God and for the good of their relationship and the good of his wife. Now, I believe these things to run parallel to one another. But keeping in mind this, and we often lose sight of this, I fear, that we're real people. Like, this, like we're real people. That you have real personalities, that you have real ideas, that you have real baggage. That recently I went, I had to go under, undergo, that was not the right. I was asked to participate in uh, uh, these two evaluations and assessments of gifts and strengths, like strength finders and different things, you know, the Myers-Briggs kind of things. Why? Why do we take those? So that we can learn about our natural gifting. We can learn about our wiring. We can learn about how God put us together. And so therefore, we're, we recognize that we're all different. We're unique. When I, so I had this hour-long conversation after I'd taken these tests with this wonderful, intelligent girl from somewhere in the country, and she, was, she just said, oh. She kept saying, well, this is, oh, this is just really fascinating. As she was reading results about me, right, and about this personality test that I took, I'm like, okay. And she's like, wow, this is just so unique. This is, so, this is just so fascinating. And, and I, at one point I paused and I said, I just have to tell you what I'm hearing is that I'm a complete freak. I just want you to know that's what I'm hearing you tell me, right, over and over again. I just, she's like, no, 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 no. I'm like, yeah, okay, mm, all right. Not that you needed tests to tell that, you know. God made each of us different. And how equality and headships works themselves out in your home and in your relationship with your spouse and how those things work out in my home and in my relationship with my spouse are gonna be different. And we have to allow grace for that. Friends, because listen, sometimes church can be one of the hardest places to admit that you actually are struggling with regards to your relationship. Because we, because we, we just walk around and we hear people in the hallways or we hear people in, in, in small group conversations say, well, that would never happen in my house. And you go, oh, it's happening in my house. Or we hear, well, he would never talk to me that way. Well, oh, and, and therefore, it makes it a very, it can be a very difficult place. <laughs> my wife and I, have, my wife, have you ever watched just other relations, other couples, their marriage relationship? Have you ever watched them? Like we have this one, some dear friends of ours, and they're just fascinating to watch. Well, it's just fascinating to watch them interact. We stayed at their home. They're just wonderful friends of ours. They're a wonderful Christian couple. And yet, 
like my wife and I, we drive away and we just smile and laugh because it's not, they, they, they're hilarious, but they have no idea that they're hilarious, right? It's one of these couples, just the way in which she talks to him and the way in which they're banter back and forth, just, and that's just life for them. Like that's, they're not even being funny, and, but they're hilarious to us because we're like, I, I would never talk to my wife that way. I would never have my wife speak to me in that way. I would, I would pull my hair out. And you, you walk away from those things and you go, those are wonderful people. I would never marry them. You know, like, I'm so glad that I'm not married to those people, right? Because why? Because we're real people. And we apply these things in, in real ways to our lives. And we need to allow grace for one another to be able to say, no, this is the way in which marriage works. Well, yeah, but we need to allow grace as we work these things out. Pattern of Christian marriage and finally, in the last few minutes we have together, the work of Christian marriage. Marriage takes work. If you didn't know that, it does. A lot of it. And here's the work. The husband and wife must do this work of recognizing who they are, who you are individually in Christ, who your spouse is individually in Christ and how you are going to work out these parallel truths in your relationship with one another, right? To be able to work, and that's the work. And it's not succumbing to what someone else tells you this is how it ought to be, but being able to say that God designed you uniquely. God designed me uniquely. We are equal image bearers, and yet God had, and yet each of us has a responsibility before God for what that looks like, and the hard work is working that out together. And the biggest problem in my marriage is my own self-righteousness is my own selfishness, is my own desire for me, my own self-centeredness. And it's the biggest problem in your marriage too. Not mine, yours. Your self-centeredness. All of our own individual self-centeredness. The self-centeredness of the human heart. Because we too often clothe ourselves with the things of the earthly, of our earthly nature. Our earthly selves creep in and there's no there's no relationship where it creeps in faster than in your marriage relationship because we find ourselves clothing ourselves with bitterness and resentment and anger and rage and lying and malice. And we see it in our spouse, but we fail to see it in ourselves, right? And we see their self-centeredness and their self-righteousness. And how do we respond to it? With our own self-centeredness and our own self-righteousness. And how well does that go? Not very well. I know from experience. <laughs> so what, what, where, what are we to do? Well, Philippians 2 says this, this is the crux of Christian living. It is the crux of Christian relationship. It's the crux, crux of Christian marriage. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than ourselves. When I meet with a couple to do to, prior to doing a wedding, their wedding, this is a part of what, what I talk about. One of the Christian principles that applies to Christian marriage, and in my mind, this is at the very crux of it. What does it look like for you to consider others better than you, your spouse better than yourself? What does, that, what does that look like for you? What does that mean for you? When 
Because, because you're bringing in your, all of our expectations. You're bringing in all of the stuff that you heard for how husbands are supposed to be and how wives are supposed to be. And you're bringing, in the, you, you're bringing into this relationship what you saw your parents, good or bad. And you bring that in with you. You're bringing in your own idealistic expectations. You're bringing into the relationship all of, these, all of this stuff, what you saw on TV or what you hoped it would be. All that stuff we're bringing in. But what does it look like for you to consider your spouse better than you? It doesn't mean that somehow they're, they're, they're a better cook if you're actually a better cook. That doesn't, that's not what it means. It's not what it, that's not what he's talking about. Look, I'll say this to a couple. Um, I'm prepared to believe that you're the most thrifty couple in the world. Like you are the... It, you're the most thrifty couple to ever exist on the planet Earth. And yet one of you thinks the other person spends money like crazy. So what does it mean in that place where you say, well, one of you, one of you, just, one of you never spends money and you, one of you oh, just spends money and just goes, it's like a sieve money through you, right? Well, how do we, what does it mean? Well, it means the person that actually is the miser of the two at some point needs to allow money to go and allow money to flow. Because why? Because his wife, or because this, whoever it is, <laughs> needs to get their nails done because it speaks life into them. Or because I need a Starbucks and it's two sixty-five for a cup of coffee and yet it speaks life to me more than caribou. That's okay. That's like half-life. I know, I know. Really, that's the thing we're going to be enemies about? Just coffee? Didn't I give you enough to not? <laughs> but this is the crux of Christian marriage. This is the work. Because it requires us to repent of our, of our bitterness, resentment, self-pity. It requires us to repent as individuals. Because why? Because my identity is not in my marriage. My identity is not in getting my way. My identity is not being right. My identity is wrapped up in Christ. And I have the very power of Christ that's at work within me. And because my wife is a Christian, she is the very power of Christ at work within her. And together we lay our battles down in order that we too may be able to honor and glorify Christ in all things including our relationship with one another. It's a great privilege, friends, for us to be able to paint the picture of Jesus Christ with me and my wife, and I think her with me. And it is for you. If God calls you into Christian marriage, then it's a great privilege you have, and it's a unique privilege that you have to be able to honor Christ with you and your spouse. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this privilege that you for whatever reason, in your sovereign providence, in your divine way of putting all these things together, have chosen this marriage relationship to, to picture Christ. Will you help us to be humble? Will you help us to clothe ourselves with the clothing of Christ? Will you help us to honor you in the way in which we seek to love our spouse and consider our spouse above ourselves? And may we do all of these things for the praise and glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.